Praise the Lord, everyone. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. All right. Let's get right into the word today. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 37, verses number 3 and 4, and then I'll skip to verses 8 and verses 11. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Then Joseph tells him a dream, and verse 8 says, And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then verse 11 says, And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Let's pray and ask God to help us today. Father, I thank you, God, once again for the opportunity that we have to, to come together as your body and to worship you, God, in spirit and in truth, God. I pray that you would anoint my lips my mind, my tongue, God, to speak what you would have me to say today, God, anoint every ear and every heart today to hear and to receive your word and let everything be done for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You may be seated. Today, I'm going to try to walk us through one of the greatest stories, not just in the Bible, but in, in all of literature. Uh, and I'm going to try to tie it together on, on this thought, faithfully afflicted, faithfully afflicted. Um, as we begin, uh, we meet Joseph. Joseph is probably one of the truest types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There are so many uh, similarities uh, between the two. Uh, we meet Joseph here in chapter 37. He says he's 17 years old. Uh, in verse 3, it said that jo Israel, also Jacob, known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. You know, one thing that I've, I've, I saw in this is that God uses people even when they come from dysfunctional families. <laughs> And if there was ever a dysfunctional family in the Bible, Jacob's family was dysfunctional. I mean, any, any man that thinks he can pull off marrying sisters and living in peace. <laughs> but Joseph was different than all of his other brothers, okay? Most of Joseph's older brothers, practically all of them, they were like their dad, Jacob, you know, Jacob was a deceiver, a swindler, a con artist, and they were pretty much like him. But Joseph was different because the dad that raised him was different than the dad that had raised those other boys. Because Joseph was born right before Jacob left Laban, his father-in-law's house. And the dad that Joseph grew up with was a changed man. He had had an encounter with God. And he was changed, and he walked different. And so Joseph was different, and he had dreams. God gave him dreams, and there was purpose that God had placed in Joseph. 
And so Joseph was, like the Bible said, Israel or Jacob loved him more than his brothers, and so his brothers didn't like that. Uh, and so God gives Joseph a dream, and Joseph, being young and maybe a little pretentious, shares the dream with his brothers, and that caused them to hate him even more. So just be careful who you share your dreams with. Not everybody's going to, they're not going to buy into your dreams or what, you know. And if God's favor is on you, there's going to be some people that, that, that are going to hate you for that, okay? They're going to hate you if God has favor on you. And so he tells him the first dream about the she's bowing down. And so it says they hated him even more. And then God gives Jacob a second dream, verse 9. And this time it's the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. And, and so now they're hating him even more. And Jacob kind of rebukes him at first. And, uh, but then he, he starts thinking about, well, you know, what's, hmm, wonder what this is all about. And so then we go on and... Jacob sends Joseph to go check on his brothers while they're feeding the flocks. And Joseph leaves and goes to Shechem where they're supposed to be, but they had left Shechem. And he finds a man and he says, uh, I'm looking for my brothers. He said, they went to Dothan. And, and so Joseph goes on to Dothan, which was about 12 miles from Shechem. And we get to verse 18, and his brothers see Joseph coming. Uh, verse 18 says, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. If God gives you a dream and he gives you a purpose, there are going to be people that are going to try to hinder that. They're going to try to kill your dream and to kill your vision. But if it's a God-given dream and a God-given vision, there is no one that can kill that vision. <laughs> Not even Satan himself can stop what God has decreed is going to come to pass. I remember as a young man, and I believe it was 1991, I went to my first Because of the Times it was a day service, and I walked in, and this was back before you had to register, and I wasn't a licensed minister, so I snuck up to the balcony, and Brother T.F. Tenney was preaching on Joseph. I think it was title was called, When Dreams Never Die, or When Dreams Die, When Dreams Die. And he said something that resonated with me that morning, and boy, if I knew how much it was really going to resonate with me, he said, the pit stands for a prophet in training. <laughs> you see, sometimes God will give us a vision and he'll give us a dream, but he doesn't show us the path or the road that it's going to take to get to that dream or that vision. Because <laughs> if he showed us the path and the road that we would have to take to get there, most of us would probably not want to have anything to do with it. And so we see that here Joseph is, he's in the pit by his brothers. They threw him in the pit, and then uh, they, they were going to kill him, and, and uh, Judah says, no, no, let's not kill him, let's not kill him. Uh, or actually it was Reuben, I believe. Uh, and so they decided that they're going to sell him. Let's make some money off of him. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, one of the comparisons there and so they sell Joseph down 
to a, a band of Midianites, and, and they take Joseph down to, to Egypt. We go over to verse 39, uh, chapter 39, and he's brought into Potiphar's house, who was the officer, the chief captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And immediately, Joseph is elevated. Even though he's been betrayed by his brothers, he's been thrown into a pit, and now he's sold into slavery in Egypt, he doesn't let that get him down. He, he stays faithful, and he rises to the top, and... Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And when Potiphar saw that God was blessing Joseph, he made him head over his household. And then as most of you know the story, Potiphar's wife tried to tempt Joseph, and Joseph refused. And so after her many advances, one day he, he fled, uh, flees from her presence and Leaves his coat, and she claims that, you know, he tried to uh, assault her. And so now Potiphar throws uh, Joseph in jail. So now he's went from being betrayed by his brothers to a pit. Now he's sold into slavery. Now he's in prison. But verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor. I don't care what we're going through. God is always with us, no matter what the situation or the circumstance. Even though it may seem like we're a million miles away from where we're supposed to be, God is always with us. What God showed me this is that when Joseph was put in prison, he was actually getting close to his destiny. God was setting him up, putting him in, into position for him to fulfill the role and the destiny that God wanted him to, to fulfill. Now, one thing I noticed as you read the story of Joseph, there is no record of God ever appearing to Joseph or speaking to him like he did to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, maybe he, we, we don't know if he did or not, but it's not recorded. Basically, all, Jacob, all Joseph had to, to go on was a promise that was given to his great-granddad, his granddad, and his dad in his dream. He didn't have the Word of God like we do. He didn't have the Holy Ghost like we do. But somehow, in the midst of all of his afflictions and his trials, he stayed faithful to God. And so, uh, he's in prison, and once again... Joseph rises to the top. The prisoner sees that the hand of God is, uh, the, the head of the prison sees that the hand of God is upon Joseph. And so he, he sets him over all the prisoners. And, and so one day Joseph comes in and Pharaoh had thrown his, his, uh, his uh, butler and his baker in, in, in prison. And, and each of them had, had a dream. Uh, and so Joseph interprets their dreams for him. And so he says that, tells the uh, butler that, that Pharaoh is going to restore him, uh, but that tells the baker that, um, you know, Pharaoh is going to do away with you. And so he tells the, tells the butler, you know, when you're restored uh, to your position as Pharaoh's butler, remember me. And so, sh sure enough, it comes to pass that the dream uh, comes true. Joseph's interpretation comes uh, true, and then, but the the butler forgets about Joseph. 
So here he is in prison. He's been betrayed by his brother, sold into uh, slavery, lied upon, slandered, thrown in prison. He's still being faithful, and he's forgotten about. But then Pharaoh has a dream, and uh, he dreams, uh, two dreams, uh, and then he, he doesn't know the, the meaning of it, and all the, the magicians and the soothsayers of Egypt, they can't interpret the dream, and so all of a sudden the butler remembers, oh man, I remember back when I was in prison, there was a guy who interpreted the dream, okay? And so uh, he, he can probably interpret the dream, so Pharaoh calls Joseph. Uh, and so in one day, in just one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace, okay? So no matter what our situation is, we have to stay faithful because God can turn that situation around in a moment. In a moment. Now, it was basically, 30, it says that, uh, that Joseph was 30 years old when he was taken from the prison to, to Pharaoh's house. Je Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry, too. That's another. <laughs> so, basically, it's about 13 years since God gave Joseph the dream to now. Now he's, kinda, now he's getting close to where he's supposed to be. All right? And so... Uh, Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh. He says, okay, there's going to be seven years of good and plenty, and after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. And so uh, we need to, what I suggest is you set somebody to, you know, store a fifth of the grain while there's good years. That way, when the famine comes, we'll have uh, plenty to eat. And so Pharaoh said, well, who's better than you? you you've got the wisdom of God. And so Pharaoh sets uh, Joseph uh, over all the business, and basically Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt, the greatest empire at that time in the known world, all right? <laughs> See, when God, when you got a purpose and when you got a vision of God, a vision from God, there's nothing that can stop it from coming to pass. If you'll just stay faithful, the, the, the enemy can't stop what God has declared. And so uh, Pharaoh gives, uh, gives Joseph a... Uh, a wife, and he has two sons. First one, uh, I'm in uh, chapter 41, verse 50. It says, Unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of own, bearing to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of of my affliction. You see, sometimes God has to let us go through things to prepare us for where he wants us to eventually go. All right? He's got to purge us, and he's got to purify us. Just like silver and gold is purified by fire, so we too must be purified. You see, it's in the fiery furnace of affliction where our faith is forged. <laughs> it's in the pit and the prison where prophets are prepared and purpose is perfected. It's in the dungeons and the deserts where our devotion is developed and our destinies are determined. And so, but we cannot lose faith in our God, even though, like the song says, even though I don't see him, He's working. And even if I can't feel him, he's working. No matter where I'm at, I'm in the will of God. If I can stay strong, if I can stand on his word and trust him. 
And so the famine comes and it, 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 it goes to the land of Egypt and it's the whole world, it says. And so Jacob, he sends his sons down to Egypt to buy grain. And so when they get there, who do they have to go to see to buy grain but Joseph? They don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes his brothers. And when they bow down to him, all of a sudden he remembers that dream he had. <laughs> and now it's starting to make sense. All this stuff that I had to go through, there was a purpose behind it. I don't know what you're going through today, but there is a purpose. There is purpose in your pain. Their God is at work, even though... It may seem like he's a million miles away. He is working on our behalf. And so Joseph accuses them. He doesn't reveal himself to him. He, he accuses them of being spies. Eventually he makes Simeon, his brother, stay and says, because he had asked, do you, do you have any more kinfolks? And they, they said, well, we had another brother, but he's dead. We got another brother at home with our dad. And he goes, well, if you're, not, if you're true men and you're not spies, Bring your brother back the next time, and I'm going to keep Simeon in jail till you do. And so they go back to, uh, to Canaan, to where Jacob is, and he puts their money back in their sack, and they see all this stuff. And, and the brothers, they start thinking, man, all this stuff is happening because of what we did to Joseph. They think they're being punished for what they did to Joseph, and they don't realize that God is working on their behalf. And in chapter 42, verse 36, they come back and they tell Jacob all this stuff, all right? What all has happened, right? And so Jacob, verse 36, Jacob their father said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. Yet you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. <laughs> you see, Jacob's perception of his present reality was skewed because of his perception of the past. You see, he had believed a lie. You see, Joseph's brothers had told him they, they had taken Joseph's coat, killed a, killed a goat, and put the blood on it and made it look like an animal had killed him. And Jacob had believed that lie. It's funny, it was the same trick that he had pulled on his dad. See, Jacob had killed, if you remember the story, Jacob had killed a, a kid to deceive his dad. And so now he's being deceived just like he by his sons, like he deceived his father. If we believe a lie of the enemy, he can get a foothold. And that foothold can become a stronghold in our mind. And our perception of the past can skew our perception of our present reality. You know, there's a saying, perception is reality, but it's really not true because your perception can be wrong. <laughs> But like our theme is, there is a greater reality. This is the greater reality. What his word says, that's the true reality. Go to, go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You see, Jacob thought everything was working against him. You know, he thought all this stuff was against him when in reality, God was working on his behalf to save him and his family and to fulfill the promise that he had given to Abraham and to Isaac and to him. See, Jacob didn't have Romans 8.28. You know, he didn't have Romans 8.28 that says, we think, we hope, 
We see? No, it says we know. See, we've been brainwashed into this phrase. You ever heard the phrase, seeing is believing? Seeing isn't believing. Knowing is believing. <laughs> it doesn't say we see all things work. It says we know all things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. <laughs> see, our eyes can trick us. Our eyes can deceive us. We can't look at things through our carnal, natural eyes. we got to look through the spiritual eyes of faith that says no matter what I'm going through, God is in charge. He is in control. He's working on my behalf. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say most things. It says all things. I'm not a Greek scholar, and I didn't look it up, but I guarantee you if you go to Blue Letter Bible, the Greek word for all is probably going to mean all. All is all. Even the bad. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. The bad stuff works together along with the good stuff. Not all things are good. Some things stink. Some things are bad. Some things are hurtful and painful. But it doesn't matter. They all work together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. Man, I'm running out of time. You see, what we have to realize, and I know this isn't popular, positive, prosperity preaching, but I think it's in the Word. We... We have to realize that some things we're not, we're not meant to be delivered from. Some mountains aren't meant to be moved. They're meant to be climbed. Because it's in that trials. It's in those tests. It's in those moments where we, our destiny is determined. Where our trust and our faith in God is cemented. Look at the three Hebrew boys. God could have delivered them from that, but he chose not to deliver them from it, but to deliver them through it. And you know, the Bible doesn't say that they saw the fourth man in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar saw it. We don't know if they saw the fourth man or not. But sometimes God will allow us to go through things. When they threw them three Hebrew boys in the fire, it said that it killed the people that threw them in there. Sometimes God will allow us to go through things that will kill normal people. But he will sustain us so that he can get glory and he can reveal himself to others through the trial that he brings us through. Look at John the Baptist. Jesus said there wasn't anybody greater than him. No prophet, no man, no, no, no man born of woman is greater than him. He comes on the scene, he prepares the way. When Jesus comes to be baptized, he said, man, I need to be baptized of you, but behold the Lamb of God. He sends his disciples to go follow him. And then all of a sudden, he gets thrown in prison. And when he's in prison, some doubt starts creeping in. And he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to say, are you here or do we look for another? Basically what he was saying, because Jesus was, hey, cuz, you going to get me out of here? And Jesus said, tell John, blessed is he who is not offended in me, but go tell him the blind see, the lame walk. 
It wasn't meant for John to be delivered from prison. It wasn't meant for Jesus to escape the cross. He had to endure the cross. Anybody ever pray, God, we used to sing a song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, on earth I long to be like him. Almost every day I pray, Lord, I want Christ to be formed in me. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I forget that Isaiah said he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And acquainted with grief. Hebrews said, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And then Jesus said, the servant can't be greater than the master. If they've hated me, they're going to hate you. We pray, we pray for blessing. God bless me. God bless me. Not understanding that Jesus' idea of blessing and our idea of blessing are two different things. We think of blessing as a, a, a better job, a, a, a raise, you know, a new car, a new house. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when men say all kind of evil against you for my sake. Some things were not meant to be healed of. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul. I would say if anybody that's ever walked the face of this earth had the faith to be healed... It would be the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about he had a thorn in the flesh and that three times he asked God to remove it. Verse 7, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. We don't like weakness. But Jesus said, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, <laughs> Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. When we're at our worst, God is at his best. <laughs> but see, we don't, we don't want to take pleasure in infirmities. We like to post on Facebook about our victories and our successes. But it's not our victories and our successes and our triumphs that are going to make our walk with Him. It's our heartaches. It's our disappointments and our defeats and how we walk through those things and learn to trust Him that's going to make the difference and if we make it or not. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, He says, we have this treasure, beginning in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. No matter what you're going through today, you're not alone. God is with you. You may be down now, but it's not the end of the story. <laughs> and if you go down to verse 17, Paul brings it all into perspective. For he says, our light affliction. It may not feel like it right now. But when you compare what you're going through to the glory of eternity that's going to be revealed, it's just a light affliction. And it's just for a moment. Even though it may seem it may be a long time in this life. I know we just passed the, what, the, the one year anniversary of 15 days or 14 days to flatten the curve. It's been a rough year. I don't know about some of y'all, but I've had a bad decade before. You know? Mostly self-inflicted, you know, but it was rough. But you know, a decade in this world would not even compare to the first moment of the first second of the first minute of the first hour of the first day of the first week of the first month of the first year of the first decade of the first century of the first millennium of eternity. That's why we got to keep our eyes on the things that are not seen. If we get our eyes on the things of this world, on the temporal things, then yeah, we can lose faith, we can become downtrodden, and we can become disheartened. But if we'll keep our eyes on Him, that's why Hebrews said, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. It says, let us consider, lest we be weary and faint in our hearts. We got to keep our eyes on the prize. We got to keep our eyes on the glory that's going to be revealed. You see, Jesus had to go to the cross in order to get the crown. And if we want the crown, there's a cross that we have to bear too. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to follow me. We want the crown, but we don't want anything to do with the cross. But you can't have the crown without the cross. And, you know, we're coming up on Easter and there's a, we'll be probably be hearing about the cross and Calvary and, and the empty tomb and the resurrection and, and rightly so. Those are very important uh, things in our, in our faith. But what we don't hear about a lot is Gethsemane. You see, Jesus died, his body died at Calvary. But he really died in Gethsemane. You see, his flesh was crucified on the cross at Calvary. But his will was crucified in Gethsemane. 
And it said, and he was in agony, and he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In each and every one of our lives and our walks with God, there are going to be Gethsemane moments where there's going to be a bitter cup that we will have to drink that it's not going to be pleasant, but we're going to have to drink it without it making us bitter. There's some things that we're going to have to go through. we got to settle it in our heart and in our minds before we even get to the Calvary, to the cross. But there's so much glory. <laughs> there was a few hours of pain and suffering that day on Calvary, but the glory was... I can't wait. No matter what we're going through, no matter what I've got to deal with in this life, it's going to be worth it. Whatever it takes for me to see his face, I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, Paul in Philippians, he said it, up, he said it this way. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, we like that. And the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If I want the power of the resurrection, i got to endure the fellowship of his suffering. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul, you see, Paul, could, he could go through this because he went to heaven. <laughs> he was caught up to the third heaven. He knew the glory. He said he saw things that it wasn't lawful for him to even speak of. My question is, what did Paul see that Isaiah and Ezekiel and John didn't see because they were able to write about it. But Paul said he saw and heard things that he wasn't even allowed to speak about. And as I get, bring this to a close, I want to go to Psalm chapter 119. My favorite chapter in all the Bible. you could see my Bible you would you would you would see that I shared with you I think the first time I preached about uh, the verse that that God gave me in chapter 40 uh, verse 49 and and verse 50 it says remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope this is my comfort in my affliction for thy word has quickened me God will always give us a word when we're going through trials and tribulations. And that word will sustain us. But if you keep reading in verse 67. 
The psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now how I have kept thy word. You see, God knows what he's doing. You see, when the children of Israel went into captivity in Babylon, one thing that happened after that captivity, when they came back, you'll never read. I've never read of them worshiping idols after that. Sometimes God has to let us go through some things in order to show us some things in our hearts that we've got to repent of. And then in verse 71 it says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. And then finally, we can stand. Verse 75, this is a verse that some of them verses you really like, you know. But some of these, you're like, okay, God, I'm going to take my medicine. But when you, when you go through, when you go through those trials and God brings you through them, and you can look back and you can see, okay, God, I didn't understand it at the time, but I, but I see a little bit more clearly now. Then you can say, like the psalmist in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. You see, God is not going to let us go through something without a purpose. He will take that pain and he will turn it into purpose if we will allow him. He can take that pain and he can make it beautiful. The Bible says he gives us beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning. He gives us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In order for there to be wine, grapes must be crushed. In order for there to be perfume, flowers must be crushed. In order for there to be anointing oil, olives have got to be crushed. Sometimes we got to go through some things in our lives, but there is a reason and there is a purpose. And if we'll stay trusted in God, then in the end, it's going to all be worth it. It's going to all be worth it. Let's pray before we take our break. Lord Jesus. God, your word is true. You're the God of hope. You're the God of comfort, God. I pray, God, that you would take this word, God, that it would give somebody encouragement and hope, God, to endure what they're going through today, God. God, we trust you, God, in our afflictions, in our trials, in our circumstances, in our tribulations, God. We know that you are in control, and God, that you are working all things for our good. And I pray, God, that your hand would rest upon each and every one that's in this place today and those that are watching, God, that our faith would be strengthened and our hope would be renewed and that we, we, we would trust in you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you back in 10 minutes.